This week on The Minute the Movies podcast, we enter the battlefield to talk about act of valor. Being dangerous is sacred, but what does it mean to be dangerous? Our worldview shapes who we are becoming, and we discuss a framework for seeing the world we live in, and we find that our mission is to live out our Father's legacy. Find out what all of that means as we discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story. The story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald and joining me from across the country out in Colorado is Pablo Cerrone. Hey, Pablo, how are you doing today? Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here again. Oh, I'm so excited. We've been we've been trying to connect in, in our schedules. The Swiss cheese, as they say, just doesn't line up. The holes don't haven't lined up. But uh, so I'm really excited. We were finally able to get you back on here. The last time I checked, our conversation about Gladiator is the most played episode of of the seventy something that we've released so far. Oh, wow. So that is amazing. That's super cool to hear. Yeah. So I'm looking. You got a high bar, man. <laughs> you got a big standard to live up to. <laughs> I don't know if it has too much about me uh, and more about the movie, but I think we have a great conversation about a great movie today. So I'm excited for that too. Yeah. So we've we've jumped forward a few hundred centuries, maybe maybe several centuries from Gladiator, and today we're talking about Act of Valor, which is I saw this a couple of years ago. A buddy of mine uh, really loved it, and one of the most the interesting things was this many of the actors in it are actual Navy SEALs. Yeah, that is phenomenal. From what I understand, they approach the team, the Navy SEALs, with the idea of uh, using them as consultants for the movie they wanted to make. But as they talk to them and they realize how um, how well-trained and how they, they, they are these kind of, the, the, the kind of warriors that they are, it was impossible for the producers to then go out and hire some actors to pretend to be the Navy right. SEALs when in fact it, they believed it's easier to teach these people to act than it would be to create a realistic depiction of what their life is by having Hollywood actors learn to shoot and learn to move like them. So uh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And from what I understand, they, they, they showed up and you know how actors they'll come in and you'll, they'll do multiple takes and stuff. These guys showed up did it and there's like bang we're done yep <laughs> we're on mission right they had a mission to accomplish they came in yeah and got it done and uh, one thing that blew me away when i first learned about this is that a lot of the scenes were actually using live ammo they were yeah. not even bullet uh, like uh, blanks or simulation but real ammo the scenes when the you know the the, the ships come as backup for the Navy t Navy SEAL team on that hot extract, that's actually live ammo. And they made Swiss cheese of these parts. <laughs> which, is, which is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie when yes. they, the car get, they just submerge the car right into the river as the ships come around for the rescue. 
of the, yeah. the enemies are in hot pursuit and they just come in guns blazing. And that's an awesome scene. It's phenomenal. Yes. And as, and as awesome as, as that part is some of the other sort of research I did, you know, when they're researching, oh man, I can't even remember her name now, but when, when they're researching their, their hostage. Yes. Um, as the, the director's, and the writers of the movie were researching. They said, this is a Hollywood torture scene because mm -hmm. if we actually showed and sort of portrayed the torture that actually happens, we couldn't get this movie released. And it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable because it's a pretty gory scene already. Yes. Um, you know, they use a drill to drill a hole in her hand and, and just the, the beating up and, and all that. And to think that, and I didn't do further research to say, well, this is the torture that happens because I sort of didn't want that in my mind. <laughs> yeah, that tells you the reality of evil in the world. Sometimes we even watch scenes and movies like this one or any other movie and we say, wow, that, that was pretty exaggerated. Yeah. When in fact, what happens in real life may be even worse than when we see on the screen. Yeah. I, th I thought it was interesting that on the one hand that the action was sort of to the level of mm -hmm. what happens, but the torture they had to soften for, for the audiences. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And to your point, yes, they do mention that even though this particular storyline is fictional, they actually grabbed from multiple missions. All of it is based on true events, you know, different missions, different situations that they have to experience as, as seals. Yeah. There was a, an RPG scene that the RPG hit the guy and didn't go off. Right. That was actually pulled from real life. And, and I can't, I read the, the book, the story I've read several Navy SEALs books, <laughs> but where an RPG actually embedded in a guy's pelvis. Oh my God. And didn't explode where a guy got shot like uh chief Dave at the end where he gets shot up and, and survives where the guy got shot and lost his eye. Yep. And even to sort of the big climax of the movie, the emotional climax at, at Lieutenant Engel's funeral, where the SEALs were going in and as part of their uh, salute, their goodbye to their fallen comrade, they're pressing in their tridents, their, their badges yeah. that shed said that we're SEALs that they receive after their training. Right. A symbol of their brotherhood and a symbol of their true identity. Yeah. And we choose to put that on, on the, on the falling cameras uh, gasket. Yeah. And so the three, three sort of major themes that we're going to talk about. One is this idea of the worldview, how that frames what we, how we approach life. Um, right. And then the idea both of brotherhood but of and the the opposition that we have, yeah. sort of the two, you know, if if we're doing a trident, we've got the three prongs of the worldview, the brotherhood, and really the reason for it is the the enemy and the opposition that we face. That's right, and how that is true not only of Navy SEALs but it's true of us as we live our daily lives, which obviously goes back to your first theme, worldview. Yeah. What is the worldview that we have? So the story is told and it's really narrated by chief Dave as he's, he's basically narrating a letter to Lieutenant Engel's son after right. his father passed away. 
after he, he, and his father passed away in a sacrificial way. He, somebody had thrown a grenade in and he jumped on the grenade to save the lives of his brothers. That's right. And, and we've got a few clips, um, and they're, but they're much shorter, but I think what they, they really communicate these messages that we want to discuss. And really this, this one, first one opens the movie as you hear, uh, chief Dave, as he's writing to him, writing to Lieutenant, uh, Angle's son, because he never meets him. Mm-hmm. Rourke, Rourke Angle is his name. He goes on mission while his wife is still pregnant. So he's, he's carrying this burden of a son that he hopes to meet. Yes. And so now you've got chief Dave sharing this message, sharing about his father, because I think, I think when you go through battle with a man, you really get to know what that man's like. Yes. Before my father died, he said the worst thing about growing old was that other men stopped seeing you as dangerous. I've always remembered that, how being dangerous was sacred, a badge of honor. You live your life by a code, an ethos. Every man does. It's your shoreline. It's what guides you home. And trust me, you're always trying to get home. Hmm. So what is it about that scene that, that resonates with you, Pablo? Yeah, uh, I immediately feel the goosebumps in my body. And I was asking myself, why does that happen, right? Mm-hmm. What does a movie like this and why do words like this connect so deeply with my heart in ways that, to be honest with you, Sunday service at church didn't? Yeah. Right? Why is it that I long to watch a movie like this one? What what is it? What is it communicating to my heart that makes me begin to come alive and respond? Yes, there is something true here. And and in your, uh, I love the introduction to your podcast and how you very clearly state how the movies that we love actually speak of a truer reality. There are metaphors for the greater reality, the greater story that we're a part of that is um, only properly unpacked through the gospel, through scripture. And, and, um, and so as I hear this particular clip, um, my unedited, honest reaction, and I feel a little boyish even at saying that is I want to be a dangerous man. Yeah. That's the kind of man that I want to be that, that phrase that his fear is that becoming old, that when he becomes old, may men may not recognize him as dangerous. I resonate with that. I want to be perceived not only perceived, I want to be at the core of my being strong, know that I have a strength to bring to the world and that evil would be Mm -hmm. afraid of messing with me, that when my strength is needed, I will bring it up and and come through for the people that have been entrusted to me, to my wife, to my children, to my brothers, to my community. And I have a fear of losing that, of not being able to be that kind of man. So I resonate with, with his description. How about you? Well, I have a, one of my friends who's been involved with my, my son's lives and we've done initiation, um, ceremonies for them for 13 and 18. And one of the things that he's always talking about is, and he's said to to my sons, he said to his sons, he says, be dangerous for good. Yes. And tends to do that as he's handing over a pocket knife, but this idea of be dangerous. And I remember reading, um, an article on the art of manliness website 
And he talks about there's basically three types of people. The vast majority of people are sheep. They're just blindly going along, living their lives. And again, the vast majority of people fall under the sheep category. And then there's the idea of there's wolves out there who want to take it. And I'm pretty sure Jesus said it's something along those lines, right? (laughs) And so we have that of Jesus talks about the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy and, and your wolves in sheep's clothing. There are people out there who intend evil and there are evil, even supernatural evil beings behind the people who are the true enemy. And then there are the shepherds or the sheepdogs. It was, it was actually sheepdogs who are dangerous, but they're not dangerous to the sheep, but they're dangerous to the wolves. And the thing that I was thinking, I was actually thinking this uh, last week we were at the beach and I noticed when, when people were at the pool or we're at the beach and I'm, I'm looking and I'm constantly looking I'm watching people and I'm not really like, you know, paranoid or anything like that, but I'm, I'm watching to see what's going on, to see if there's anything we need to be aware of. And I think of, oh, this guy's, he might see me looking at him and he's like, why are you looking at me? What's your problem? And he consider, he might consider me a threat or a predator. Yes. Because they're both sort of capable of danger both yes. the, the wolves and the sheepdog as it were yes. or the, the, the predator and the shepherd. And so there's sort of two sides to that sent to a similar coin. Obviously the motivation and we'll, we'll talk about the, the, the presence of the enemy here in a minute, but this idea that in order to counter the threats that are present in the world, we do have to sometimes be someone who's regarded as unsafe. That is right. That is correct. And, uh, and I love in 100% you know, agreement with everything you're saying and deeper, like maybe one layer deeper, what I perceived in what you're saying is that you're making certain assumptions of the world that you live in, mm. that there is a need for a dangerous man which again contrasts with most men that you would find on a daily basis, right? On your commute to work, or if you're working and uh, if you're walking into a coffee shop or at a restaurant, would you use the word dangerous to describe most of the people that you, that you encounter? Maybe the answer is no, right? right. You do feel the presence of like, mm, uh, of, of that uh, danger here or there, whether for good or for, or for bad. But most people wouldn't, I don't believe that they would, categorize themselves as dangerous or would be uh, or would even perceive the need to become a dangerous man which is what captures my attention with the movie from the first scene those words you you played are the first that's the opening Mm -hmm. scene of the movie and immediately after that what you see is this fire team this this group of navy (laughs) seals jumping from a perfectly safe (laughs) plane and doing a you know a, a um Perishing jump. They're jumping out of a plane. Why do we need dangerous people? Why is it that the world we live in requires for us to become dangerous? And and so even before we begin to unpack the answer to that, um, 
you mentioned at the beginning, worldview is one of the main themes to talk about today. And I, I think that's what we're talking about, the interpretation that we use to understand our reality and our role in that reality is what's going to sh- that, that, like the, that's going to become the number one factor in who who we become, how we see life, who we become in in relationship to what's required of us. And the assumption for these men in the movie is that they live in a world that requires them to become dangerous because they have a strength that is required. They need to bring their strength on behalf of other people. And I think that's one of the main reasons we resonate so strongly with it mm-hmm. because that is written in our hearts because we want to be dangerous. We want to be warriors like these men are because we are created in the image of a warrior God. And we, and again, we may not perceive the need for that when we go to the coffee shop and order our medium latte with, you know, whatever <laughs> version of, of coffee you like in the mornings. And, and, and so therefore the question is, what is your worldview? What kind of lo- of world do we live in? Um, and I, I guess even now, is it more like a cruise ship where I'm sitting, taking the sun and waiting for my next cocktail and things are supposed to be nice and comfortable and convenient? And if that is the case, what happens when trouble, begin, when trouble comes? What is my reaction when something goes south? Right. Or is my view of the world more like I am a Navy SEAL? I'm deployed to a place like Afghanistan. We have our base camp, which is under the wire, like inside the wire. And our task is to go outside, recover enemy occupied territory and bring it into a place of safety and protection under the kingdom of heaven. And knowing that we may be breached at any time and therefore we need to be prepared for battle, whether offensively or defensively. But that's the type of men that we are. And so the men that we become will be the the fruit, the the byproduct of the world we believe we live in, and therefore what are and and, and our our understanding of what's the role that we play in that world. How has that played out for you, Paul, over the years? As I'm as I'm pondering that question, because that's a big question. And I look back to how trauma has entered my life. Mm-hmm. As you were talking, I wrote down this idea of toxic masculinity that seems to be out there. Mm. And, the, and, and going back to the idea of being dangerous. And yes. after we play this next clip, I'm going to want you, I'm going to want to define what dangerous means. Yes. But this idea that we are needed, masculinity is not toxic in and of itself. Correct. Being a man is not toxic. There might be stereotypes and there might be a lot of posing and, and false self in, in, in how that portrays like I'm in masculinity, you know, isn't always getting a truck wearing boots and, you know, killing deer with your bare hands or something. Right. <laughs> and it's a character of masculinity. That is a perception. And yes. But in the world, you, you don't have to look around very much to see that there are men who have taken their power and used it to cause great harm to the people who've been entrusted to them. Correct. And the predominant thought is that, no, well, we just need men to step aside because they're obviously evil. And I was like, no, we need men to stand up. Like I was that the idea of the sheepdog and the wolves, we need sheepdogs to rise up 
to face that. And how has that played out in my life? You know, I was the victim of being molested <laughs> by somebody that I looked up to and looked at to as my big brother. And that was something I kept hidden for decades because, you know, I grew up in a church culture and to say that that's something that happened at a church at a Christian college was I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a folder for that. I didn't have a, it was like I, bringing that up. It wasn't even like, I, I, I don't want to ever say that. All right. When we talk about the enemies and I'm going to play this next clip and we talk about what happens in our lives. It's those sorts of things that are personal that are directed to take out your voice and your power to prevent you from becoming the man. Remember, he talked about the principles and the ethos and finding the shoreline so that we can find our way home. Yes. And what we find are enemies who come out of those that we think we can trust, that we think are closest to us because they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they take out what could be our biggest mission and our most important impact on those around us. Look harder, your father would say. I always knew he wasn't just talking about those boxy abstract paintings. There's threats everywhere, and the world is draped in camouflage. It's absolutely on point, and it, be, it, it comes as the answer to the question, why do we require to become dangerous men? And dangerous for good, to your point. Yeah. Because we live in a world at war. Because our reality, even though we would prefer for it to be the cruise ship where we are being, you know, giving cocktail after cocktail and the grapes, hopefully on our mouths, <laughs> that is not the reality of the world we live in. Yeah. Not yet. Our hearts are designed for that reality. That's the reality of Eden. And through the biblical narrative, we know that that is coming, but that is not where we are today. Where we are today is in a world at war where there is an enemy and in the scripture, we've talked about this before you and I, Paul, it describes how the enemy is looking for someone to devour, to mold, to thrash, to destroy. He's here yeah. to kill and to steal and to destroy. And um, sadly, years and years of, of just this re religiosity makes us believe of that evil as more the, you know, the, the, the guy, the little guy with red tights and pitchfork and a, and a long tail standing yeah. on my shoulder, trying to convince me to eat the second donut. <laughs> it is, it is the, the, the one who, who is the author of all the evil that we see in the world, like the, the, the torture scene that we were describing in the movie and all the atrocities that we see, including molestation of, of, of children, including divorce and heartbreak and depression and anxiety and suicide and all the, the, the things that, not, not just the atrocities that happen uh, all ar around the world, yeah. but the atrocities that are happening in my neighbor's house and that the enemy would want to bring into my doorstep. And so what kind of man is required to not only survive, but to thrive in a world like that and to bring strength and to, and to re bring redemption and beauty into a world like that. It needs to be a man who is trained for war as a Navy SEAL and who is willing to sacrifice himself on behalf of those that God has entrusted to his care. 
and that idea that it's it's as you mentioned that cruise ship versus the battleship and that's something that brit has talked about on here before the idea that we wake up in a war zone yes and as you mentioned it's very much different of we wake up differently in our houses with our families than these guys would on mission as you mentioned the the this movie gives you goosebumps it it creates a desire to be a, a warrior to be even seen as a warrior to be a part of that brotherhood that's right and we it doesn't take much you look at the young boys today the teenagers and you've got several sons and you you know that games like halo or black ops or uh call of duty they they resonate because they want to be powerful they want to be capable they want to be competent they want to to take a stand against evil and that's what they get to do in these games but at the end of the day it's just a game that's right and as as a movie is just a movie full agreement with that now the game or the movie can be can serve us as smelling salts mm-hmm. to wake us up from what we may perceive as reality in most days, the routine of waking up, making coffee, getting the kids to school and going about your, your day, you know, tied to the cubicle and then repeating it <laughs> all, over, all over again. Right. That begins to create a worldview that begins to create the idea of this just boring world where there is a routine. And hopefully at some point I'll retire and go play golf in Florida. When in fact, that's precisely what the enemy wants to try to get to make you fall into so yeah. that you don't become the warrior that you were born to be, that God created you to be. And so that is what I perceive as, a, you know, the beauty of a movie like this, or even when um, sometimes it's, it's found in the, in the Call of Duty or in the Halo game, as long as it is perceived as that smelling salts, a metaphor for the reality instead of reality itself. And the tragedy is all this and yeah, whole generation that wants to stay plugged into the game because they feel that's the answer to the longings of their hearts. Here I can be a warrior. Here I can have clarity on who my enemy is and therefore I can go shoot it and then have the victory and feel that I have fulfilled my calling. But once they turn it off, they find themselves, you know, in, in, in contrast with this reality that doesn't speak so clearly to the desires of their hearts. I see that also in the in the Navy SEAL movies, um, not so clearly, well, to the point, to, to some point in Act of Valor as well, as they describe this, this tension between being called into mission, mm-hmm. but also how they don't expect their families to fully understand Right. But at least that they may be willing to receive them and continue lives lives with them is this contrast between the life at home and the calling to give themselves up in the service of some, of, a, of a greater mission. And that's going to take us to our next clip, where we're going to talk about the the importance of family, and, and you know we've been involved with with men long enough, working with them long enough, that we know that they. When their hearts come alive, they want to do something great for the kingdom. They want to go, you know, start their own boot camps or do these missions or do these ministries. And, but we know the importance of handling our family first Hmm. because we, and it's, I think it's easy in a lot of ways. I was, I was in the military. I was in Iraq 
for five or six months back in 2004 as working as a nurse on a, on a small little campus there. And in a lot of ways, it's easier because I could go work a 12 hour shift. We did 12s in the emergency department tent. But when I wasn't there, I was watching this. I was binge watching the Sopranos or I was playing uh, Madden on the Xbox or watching movies or, you know, eating late night ramen in my, in my trailer. In a lot of ways, mission can be easier than being at home where you've got to deal with managing the kids, getting them to school, getting them to practice. You've got to deal with interacting with, with your wife and in much closer proximity. But I think if we go on mission, if we're constantly focused outward without settling inward, um, we're going to have problems in the field. And that's, I think what they talk about in this next clip. And so this clip is they're on a, they're at the beach, their platoon is there with their families around a bonfire and they sort of step away. Just, just the men going down range, step away for a last little kind of pep talk before leaving in the morning. That last night at home, you think about how you could have been a better dad, a better husband. That bedtime story you should have read or that anniversary you forgot. You don't expect your family to understand what you're doing. You just hope they'll accept it. When you get home, you hope you can pick up right where you left off. Putting a wild bunch down. Hey, uh, senior, you mind giving us a couple minutes, man? No, you got him, I think. Thanks. Hey, fellas, you know I only got so many speeches in a given workup or deployment, but uh, it's like Chief and I said right at the beginning of this platoon. Once we step off on campaign, once this bird's ready and we're downrange, everything back home needs to be in balance. I mean, we're not going to be worth a damn to each other or ourselves if we get over there and something's out of whack. I mean, if things aren't right with the family, things aren't right with the finances or something's off, it's going to put us all out of balance. So we need to have that tight before we launch. If somebody's got an issue, bring it up. Chief can take care of it. I can take care of it. Everybody's got each other's back. Let's make sure we lock that down so when we're ready to roll, all our focus is on the mission. For all those who've been downrange, to us and those like us, damn few. It's it's interesting because it, you know we've we've both done men's retreats. We've both you, you do the muster with Wild Sons, and I do the, an outpost here in, in Charlotte. And you know that that day before, before you go on mission and you might say, well, you're not putting your lives in the line. You're not facing bullets. I'm like you haven't actually put yourself out there and done it because all hell breaks loose when you're going down range, when you're, when you're pursuing the hearts of, of men in, in the lives of those around you. It's just like, if you decide to start tithing, your car is going to need work or you go on. I had one guy who was, who's coming to one of our retreats and he said that week he was convinced he was going to get fired. Like his boss was losing his temper at everything. Uh, the I, somebody else had car trouble, like all the way up there, the car would stall anytime he would stop. And as soon as he got there, it, it worked just fine. There was nothing mechanically wrong with it. 
you know, the, the, well, the washing machine broke down while one guy was on mission. One guy went to Colorado for a, a wild at heart boot camp, and he had left his car at the office. And so he had gone to Colorado. He had turned his phone off. He had done what he was, you know, what you're supposed to do, disconnected. Well, the cops had been looking for him for a week or for the weekend. And his wife was panicked because they were like, we found your husband's car abandoned. We can't get in touch with him. We don't know where he is. And so he's coming back from this revelation you know, this time with God and this, this deeper understanding of who he was and, and his identity. And he's walking back into this maelstrom, this, this storm. Because it, not just having fighting from that strength, from having your family settled, but the enemy also uses your family to distract you from your mission. Yeah, he's um, clearly completely a coward. And I love him what you're <laughs> describing, in what you're describing, Paul, which is 100% true. And my experience is just like what you described as well. Any, any time that a group of men or women, obviously, but, you know, we're talking in the context of brotherhood, an organized mission to bring goodness into this world, whether that is fighting for the hearts of people through events and missions like you and I do, or in any other capacity, arts, business, culture, it is going to be opposed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I love this scene because it speaks to how we are created for that, to go and face adversity and bring goodness into a world at war, to overthrow, to join Jesus in his mission to overthrow evil. He already conquered right the, the, the keys through his death and his resurrection, but he handed over the keys so that we would continue the work. And that work extends. It is vocational in, in it is in every area and every type of vocation that we can imagine. But in order to do so, in order to be able to be fully focused on mission in the context of a band of brothers, bringing goodness into this world at war, as you said, we need to have uh, things pretty settled at home. And in, in, uh, many years ago in my immaturity, the combination of immaturity with a deep desire to actually do God's will and, and bring the kingdom and, and do phenomenal things for for Jesus, I sacrificed my 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 wife and my my children on multiple occasions uh, under the banner of I'm working, I'm doing these things for God or with the intention of bringing good into a world of war, into a world of filled with evil. I was neglecting the ones that were at home and whom God had entrusted to my care. And so the, to your point, this, this scene is beautiful because what, what they're asked of as brothers is first, make sure that everything in the home front is settled and is good. Because otherwise, once you are out there on mission, that's going to come and haunt you. And I have been in that spot where the, the, the regret and the replaying the story in my head from the way in which I mishandled my wife on, on a conversation keeps haunting me through the weekend and my, my heart is not there, my mind is not there, and the enemy can have a field day with me. Um, yeah. Even when I think about it, I was thinking of Deuteronomy 24 when it says that if a man has, re- has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. 
For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Like even in the context of war, when the whole country is at stake, the safety of, of, of uh, Israel, what Jesus, what the, what, the, what the scripture says, what God says is no. First, you have a first duty and your duty is at home. It is your wife, right? It is your children. And from the overflow of your battle against evil at home, then you bring that, the, you bring goodness into the world. But it must be from overflow and instead of um, at the expense of those who God has entrusted to our care primarily. Yeah, because it's really easy to, and I love even how you said you were doing things for Jesus. Right. In your own strength, in your own striving, you're like, right. I need to do this. We had a, um, I was volunteering at the church earlier, uh, several years ago, and I was leading small groups. And then I was leading leaders of small groups. And then I was leading volunteers and we had to have a family meeting. And my wife said, I feel like there's a chasm growing between us with the church yep. in the chasm. How's that, how's that for ironic? Yeah. It's like, I'm doing like in my mind, I'm pursuing what God has put on my heart and sort of working in my walking in my gifting. Right. Yes. And we think open doors indicate God's will for us. And it's easy. Well, somebody asked me, somebody invited me to this. Well, like even you asked me to the muster later this month in May and the temptation was there to say, right. uh, yeah, I'll go. Even though I had talked to my son who's in college and there's a fly fishing camping trip that weekend with our trout guys here. And I'd already said to him, Hey, what do you, what do you think about doing this? And I, I have no doubt I could call Brendan and say, Hey dude, this thing in Colorado came up. I really want to do it. And he'd be like, all right. Like there would be no he wouldn't be depressed or anything like that. He'd probably just go to work, but that there was that temptation, right. To say, yeah, there's, I want to go do this and, and see Pablo and, and engage with those men. But my first priority is to my son and say, yes. no, I've got to pursue his heart first. Yeah. And the beauty of that is then both in, our vocation or in any other vocation, whether science or arts or education or culture, whatever that is, is that switch from doing things for mm. to doing things with, because what you did in your case was to pause and not make an emotional decision based on the pull of your heart or how great the invitation was, but simply father, Jesus, are you in this? Is this what you have for me for this weekend? What is your plan? What is your mission? And bringing it back to the concept of act of valor is to go to the commander officer, right? Right. To the CEO and say, what, sir, what are my missions? This is your mission. Therefore, that's what I, where I need to be. That's, that's where he can find you on your post. And in this case is going to be with your son, which is exactly where you need to be. Right. And we're going to be up and hopefully catching some, some trout and, at, at the very least, we'll be sitting around a campfire smoking some cigars at some point. So it's yeah, already cool. a win. Right. <laughs> and now the, the other piece from, from that scene was as they were describing that contrast again between mission and family. As we, um, as we deal a lot uh, uh, with, uh, with veterans 
and the conflict that they experience when they come back home. One thing that I see very often, very commonly, traditionally, is how awful war is, of course, but at the same time, it is, uh, it's simple to understand. It is clear and it's tangible. We are at war. I have an enemy. I, have a, I am part of a brotherhood and I have a mission. I need to accomplish that mission. Destroy my enemy, protect the good ones in the picture, and there's clearly a distinction between good and evil. And then, then they come back home and life is not as black and white as it was on the, on the, on the battlefield. And so they find themselves driving a minivan on a, you know, five at 5 p.m. on a traffic jam in the middle of a highway. And of course, they want to scream. Of course, they need to punch someone. Where is that clarity on what type of world do I live in? Who is my, who is my enemy? The, the closest um, story that I can relate to is, is my wife. She's the one trying to nag me and give me crap. <laughs> Right, that, because there is where is the enemy? Where, where is the practical application of the principles that I've been trained in? And therefore, the you know closing closing on our topic of worldview, how important it is to come to understand the biblical view, because it's the only worldview that can actually explain the reality that we live in in a way that satisfies the soul. There is a war between good and evil, and it's happening right there in the highway inside that minivan, but your enemy is not your wife. The enemy is the one who's trying to kill, steal, and destroy, and therefore you need to continue to be trained as a warrior, in this case, in the spiritual realm. And as you know, Paul describes, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? But it is against who? It's against all these you know, spiritual powers and authorities that are fallen beings trying to kill, steal, and destroy my heart, my wife, my marriage, my family, and everything good that I'm trying to do in the world. Um, the, 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 my cry is for what would it take for men to recognize that reality and therefore realize that watching a movie like Actual Valor is not just cool because of the action scenes, which are phenomenal. Yeah. A call to become the kind of man God created them to be because their strength is needed, which leads me maybe to the next topic, the next theme that we wanted to chat, which is the concept of brotherhood. Um, the, there is, I see this huge difference between let's get together with the guys and have a beer and grill some steaks, which by the way, I love. Yeah. And let's have a cigar. I love all of that. And there's, you know, joy and laughter and fun in all of that. But if my friendships with men end with that, I'm missing the gold. There is something fundamentally wrong with that. We are called and we see this, uh, our hearts come out, come, come alive as we watch a movie like, like uh, Act of Valor, because we see the reality of a brotherhood in a different context. Again, they together, they understand that they have the proper worldview and they are not only great friends, but they're assigned to a common mission. And each of them plays a crucial role for the fulfillment of that wish, an irreplaceable role in that mission. I think that you have a clip, if I'm not uh, mistaken, Paul, that can begin to bring light into what I'm, I'm, I'm proposing here. Yeah. And it was a scene where um, Lieutenant Engel and Chief Dave were talking. They were out surfing and spending time with their families. 
And then you're watching them actually surfing as again, chief Dave is narrating to uh, Lieutenant Engel's son about the importance, their relationship and their bond that they had. Your father was my boss and I was his chief. What we knew about each other's strength and our bond as operators. There was a brotherhood between us and we depended on each other more than a family. Tecumseh said, although a single twig will break, a bundle of twigs is strong. Because we've all broken, <laughs> right? Do it being, we've all been that single twig. And in in that same way, as we talked about striving, going after mission, sort of for Jesus instead of with Jesus, doing it in our own strength and our own gifting and ended up hurting the ones who are most important and closest to us. That that's some of that breaking twigs. Yes. A hundred percent versus the opposite. The, The bundle of twigs doesn't break in my story. Um, most of my journey was, pretty lonely. Even when the journey of the restoration of my heart um, began, that was the year 2004 or so, I had a few phenomenal mentors, but I didn't have peers. I didn't have men, brothers who were in a similar season that I was, who were going through similar circumstances and who who would be willing to go with me into the issues of my heart, issues deeper than simply the steak and the cigar and the fun. And, um, Around the year 2012, after a boot camp, by the way, um, I found, I began to find, God began to provide by his grace, a few, as our friend Morgan would describe, like-hearted kings who wanted to move in the same direction. Men who were tired of, of the casual talk of pretending that everything was fine and simply, you know, just trying to have more fun but instead who wanted more, who were willing to commit to each other to a common mission, that mission being the restoration of each of our hearts so that we could become the kind of husband that our wives deserve, the kind of father that our children deserve, and the kind of leaders that our communities deserve. And that was one of the most crucial pivots in my story, where the journey of restoration was not just me by myself with God, reading scripture, which all of that's great, phenomenal. But when I went from that to have a group of guys with whom I could open up about the realities that I was struggling with, about my addictions, about my heartache, about my story and how I was wounded, that began to change anything. And yes, our mission was not to be deployed into, you know, Costa Rica to rescue the CIA operative who was captured and was being tortured like in the movie. But we had, we began over time to get clarity on what that crucial mission is, not just for a group of Navy SEALs, but for every brotherhood of men who want to live in the reality of the, of the story of God, which is to partner with Jesus in the restoration of each of our hearts to be there for one another, to be willing to cry with one another around our stories, to be able to bring goodness, to pray, to comfort, and to be uh, available at three in the morning with, with when one of us needs to make a call, a hard call, and he needs support and backup. And um, that is one of the greatest treasures. And I really wanted to emphasize on that today because through watching the movie again this past weekend in preparation for our time together, tears were running down my face 
at the tears of gratefulness and thankfulness to have realized that that's available, that that's a treasure that God wants to make available for every man who's listening to this podcast today and to every woman, of course. Um, It is available as hard as it feels. For most of my life, again, I didn't know, I didn't feel that was for me Mm. until I began to ask Jesus, would you, would you show me? And I choose to believe that there could be a different way. And uh, it has changed my life completely. And I love what you said. I'm going to disagree with you on it here. Because you said it's not like we're going to Costa Rica to rescue someone who's being tortured. And yeah, we might not be going to Costa Rica. But when you look back at your life, and I look back at mine, when I look back at those, those decades of dealing with the trauma, Yes. I was being tortured. I love your contradiction. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Circumstantially, we're not flying out to Afghanistan to shoot our ARs against a, a, a physical enemy. But the level of torture, the level of suffering is equally real once yes. you go. Yes, 100%. And it's, and it's, and it's palpable. You can feel yep. it. It's tangible. Yes. Because we've experienced it. We know, and even as you mentioned, the torture of knowing that maybe I should have read the bedtime story instead of just watching the game or drinking another beer. Maybe I shouldn't have lost my temper with my wife because I didn't take the turn she told me to. And she's telling me I should, I took the wrong way or I spent too much money. You know, there's a million different things that torture our hearts. Yes. And for most of us, we numb it. And, and that's what you need your brothers for. And it's so important to have brothers who will, who will take your stuff, who will take your story, who will say, like, I, for me, it's some, some guys who I'm like, I, it's almost like a counseling therapy session. Like I, right. I got to pay you guys when, after we're done here, because, you know, <laughs> this is the level of stuff that we're talking about, stuff that we're wrestling with, stuff that tortures us. But then the whole idea of in order to pursue and impact the lives of those around us, we've got to become wholehearted. Our hearts have to be healed. We've got to be rescued from the torture first. Yes. And then we start saying, Oh, then you see it. You see it on the guy in the other cubicle who's checked out and whose, whose marriage is dissolving, who's, kids don't want anything to do with him. You see the tortured look in their eyes because you've been there. Because I think it's easy to say, I'm not, you know, I go play Halo or I go watch these movies, not as smelling salts, but as something to put me to sleep because I've got these cravings. I've got these desires that I don't see a way that it's, that it's being met. Correct. Like it's almost like a frustration. Why did God make me like this? Yes. Right. When in fact that becomes a counterfeit for what's available and what's real. And so what, what in my journey, the first thing that I had to do was to break agreements with that, that this is the only, the only mm-hmm. place where I come alive. The only place where I feel that the pain is being, can be numb. So I, I don't feel it anymore. And instead of that, to believe that God could have a provision for me, of a brotherhood like the one we're watching in that movie, the equivalent for that. 
And um, now we're talking almost a decade later as an example, simply to, to create context for what's available. And this is in my particular story and every man's particular story is going to look different, but the provision from heaven, from the kingdom of God is there for each one of us. A couple of months ago, we actually flew out to get together on an advanced mission where eight of us simply as friends, our closest and most tight unit, uh, we got together to dedicate three and a half days of exploring our stories more deeply without interruptions and be able to have the other seven fight for each one of our hearts. The visuals in my soul for what I experience can only be compared to what my eyes can see when I watch Act of Valor. Mm-hmm. The development of a, a bond of friendship where I would be willing to take a bullet for each of my brothers, and I know that they would be willing to take a bullet for me, and they have, in fact. Yeah. The, the miles that we're putting together by getting to know our stories so deeply with this commitment that we are openly sharing with each other, even the 5% that we would not be comfortable sharing with a counselor, and that we're something that's going to remain in confidence, and that we're not just going to leave it there, but we're going to help each other overcome those things by partnering with God in the journey of our restoration. That is available for every man. And I think that's one of the main reasons why we resonate so strongly with a movie like Act of Valor, because we're seeing a picture of what our hearts desire, and we don't know that we have access to the, the, the real version of that. For a few men, it may look like joining the military and joining a special mm-hmm. operations group and blessings and like, by all means, you know, admiration and honor. But for those of us who will not be deployed into face-to-face physical combat, we still play a crucial role. And that role can have ripple effects in good being spread all over the world, starting with our wives and children and our communities. Through the through the work that can happen in the context of a band of brother like band of brothers like that, and so now we're going to pivot towards towards the end. And as we we mentioned, uh, Lieutenant Engel died. He sacrificed his life for the lives of his brothers, his family. You that they said these he's even closer than my family. We our mm-hmm. relationship because we've been through battle before is closer than family. And so he jumped on the grenade. It killed him. We go to the, the funeral. And once again, chief Dave, and, and I love what you, because we can look at it and say, well, Lieutenant Engel didn't live to see his son. He sp- he gave his life on mission and his son lost out on his father. Whereas if his father had just stayed home, then he wouldn't have, you know, if he didn't go on mission, he would have been there for his kid. But because of the legacy that he left, he's got this message. He's got Dave speaking life over him. And he's got the men of his platoon of his, of his, uh, his operator group, whatever you call the fire team in, in the the movie where they would go up and, and stamp their, uh, their tridents into his coffin. And so here's the words spoken to the son by Chief Dave, words of truth about you are your father's son, 
remember, you have warrior's blood in your veins. The code that made your father who he was is the same code that'll make you a man he would admire, respect. Put your pain in a box. Lock it down. Like those people in the paintings your father liked, we are men made up of boxes, chambers of loss and triumph, of hurt and hope and love. No one is stronger or more dangerous than a man who can harness his emotions, his past. Use it as fuel, as ammunition, as ink to write the most important letter of your life. There's only one phrase I disagree with. That. That what you need to do with your pain is to put it in a box and lock it. Correct. That will rot you from the inside out. Yeah. Um, and I have seen and I have shed tears with many members of the military who have learned that way. Right. And only much later have realized that joy and life and freedom only comes when they pull that box out and are willing to go into a mission as dangerous as the ones they were trained for, which is the mission of unpacking everything that has been stored in that box over years and receive God's healing and restoration so that the pain, so that the memories may remain, but the pain may heal, may subside. Other than that is the most beautiful calling of honor, the most beautiful um, message to Engels' uh, son. What, what calls your attention from it? What makes your, your heart jump from, from this portion? Well, I loved how he, he sort of ended it and said, take this and let it become your ammunition, your ink to write the most important letter. And the letter is his life. Yes. He's living out his father's legacy. Yes. Which is also our calling. That's yeah. our mission is to live our father's legacy. Isn't that beautiful? We see the theme throughout the movie. Engel, on every mission, would carry hmm. the flag that was given to his mom when his dad was killed in action. He carries that in his pocket. And his intention is to give that flag to his son at some point. That flag happens to be given to his wife at the funeral. But at the end of the movie, we see that as the symbol. Now there are two flags in the home, the grandfather, the father. And now it is this, the son, the baby, in this case, a little boy who's going, who's inheriting this, this, blood, this warrior blood, this warrior calling. And to your point, who has, who gets now the opportunity to write his letter by how he lives his life. Warrior blood does flow in our veins. The Lord yes. is a warrior. Mighty is his name. And our, I think our challenge mm -hmm. is we look at warrior, but we, as you mentioned, we get the enemy confused. Yeah. We think the enemy is other people. That's right. And this actually speaks to it. it, it part the last piece of this, this movie the last thing that Lieutenant Engel wanted to pass on to his son, as he meant, he's mentioned Tecumseh a few times, is this poem about knowing who you are, know who your enemy is, how to, how to live a life with honor. 
Before he died, your father asked me to give you this poem by Tecumseh. Live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no one about his religion. Respect others and their views and demand that they respect yours. Love your life. Perfect your life. Beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and of service to your people. When your time comes to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. Like, I love that. Sing your death song. Your life, the way you live your life, is how you impact, is how you write your letter. It's how you leave your legacy. It's not on your accomplishments. It's not on your resume. Even to the point of respect others, you know, positions, but demand that they respect yours. It's, we're not, as I, as I talked to my, my son this, this weekend, I was like, I struggle when things happen, feeling, when I feel taken advantage of my two reactions are to become a doormat or to become a Sherman tank. And neither way is my calling. Hmm. Neither way do I honor what's in me or what's in the other person. Yeah. This whole poem, all is drawn completely out of scripture. Um, I'm going to, you know, paraphrase it because I don't know it by heart, but the first thing he says is leave your life without fear of death. Mm-hmm. Right. Is is Jesus command is he who tries to save his life will lose it. But whoever chooses to lose his life will preserve it. Will, and, and in him, in Christ, in the message translation, he describes how everyone who's trying to make life remain as it is, and describing this, the, the, the seed, if you tried to, to keep a seed just a seed, it remains a seed and therefore it just dies and doesn't do anything. But if instead you consent to death, instead of self-protecting, instead of preventing evil from happening, you go out and as the message translation describes it, reckless in your love, then the seed gets planted and it bears it, it transforms into a plant, into a tree that bears fruit, that bears more trees, that bear more fruit, and more trees that bear more fruit, which is what we see in the life of a warrior who is the son of a warrior who is now passing the tradition of being a warrior to his own son. To not live a life of self-protection but to choose to give our, our, ourselves away in the service of a greater mission, the mission given to us by our Father that we now need to carry, the mission of bringing good into the world, the mission of bringing God's kingdom into this world at war as the warriors that we are, as the warriors that he created us to be. One of the, as you talked about, as you said, uh, the, you plant fruit and then, or you plant seeds and then fruit grows and then more seeds fall from that fruit. And then, and you continue. And in the military, 
as a nurse, they called me a, I was a force multiplier hmm. because we'd have casualties and they could come back to me and I'd patch them up and they'd get big, put back out. And that idea of becoming a force multiplier, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, rescuing the, the people who are being tortured and helping them to see life, to take, take that pain and trauma out of the box and give it, give their broken pieces of their life and their story to Jesus to heal, to create something more beautiful out of it. Yeah. And as we close, because we, we haven't said it clearly, we haven't answered that question that I said we'd answer early on. What does dangerous look like? And, but this is that description that, that Tecumseh's poem is what dangerous looks like. Mm-hmm. And you're not dangerous to the people under your care. We've, we've experienced being that, right, Pablo? <laughs> it's, it's dangerous to evil. It's dangerous to the, the toxic. That's right. It's dangerous to the threats. Absolutely. To become, to your earlier metaphor, the sheepdog who is willing not only to kill, but most importantly, to die in the service of those who have been placed under your care. Your question of what it does it look like to be dangerous reminds me of this quote by G.K. Chesterton, who says that the greatness of the warrior is not rooted in hating what's in front of him, but in loving what is behind him. So the question would be, what, who are those that God has placed under my care? And will I be willing to, number one, receive the love that God has for me and see how he, for my sake, was willing to go and die on my behalf as the hero? And how he's inviting me now to join his, from the overflow of what he did for me, to join him in his mission, just like a brotherhood of Navy SEALs and sacrifice and bring my strength and my love to the point of death if needed on behalf of those that he has entrusted me with, those that he has placed under my care. That's a dangerous man. Yeah. One who has consented to death in order to bring life and love on behalf of the people that have, that have been entrusted to him. That is a dangerous man. Um, I strongly believe that we can only become that kind of man if, to your first point, we operate from home in order to go home, if we truly know who we are. The movie starts with that phrase where he says that we're always trying to get home And it it ends with him now talking to Engel's son, telling him how if he lives a life like the one we just described by by Tecumseh's poem, he will get to go home like a hero. Which is, I think, the most important part of the worldview we need to have in the world that we live in. That this is not our permanent home. That we come, just like Jesus said, we come from the Father and we are going to the Father. That this is not yet Eden. This is not yet the place to make life comfortable and convenient. This We are here on mission to bring that goodness on behalf of the people that got us placed under our care, knowing that as we do so, 
and choose to join Jesus and sacrifice ourselves on that on behalf of that mission, we get to go home like heroes and join our older brother who is waiting for us and our father who is, has his arms open to tell us, well done, son. Well, Pablo, thank you so much for uh, recommending that we do this and for sitting down and, and even the the prep work to to prepare for this conversation. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom. And it your is heart. my problem. It's just fun. <laughs> <laughs> Watching Active Valor and coming to chat with you. I love it. I know it, my, my work is hard. It's like, Oh man, I had to watch active valor. Or I had to watch goodwill hunting, or I have to watch these great movies and take notes and then talk about them and, and about how God speaks to us through these movies. It's a tough it. gig. <laughs> um, you're wealthy, Paul. Yes. Could I pray for us as we wrap up today? Yes, please do. Father, uh, Jesus, Holy spirit. We pray not just for Paul or for myself, but for every person listening to this podcast today, we ask that you would use the movie Act of Valor to as a smelling salts for us to see the reality of the world that we live in and the beauty and the honor of the mission that every one of us is assigned to here on earth. We ask for a clear revelation, Lord Jesus, of who we are as warriors created in the image of our warrior father, God. And we ask for a clear revelation of the mission that we are assigned to today. Jesus, for both Paul and for myself, we ask for brothers with whom we can link shields and build a brotherhood like the one we see in this movie. A group of men or women, for the women listening, where we may be willing to fight and to die for each other. A brotherhood or a sisterhood where we can find freedom from the wounds we have received in our journey, where we may have the encouragement and the strength and the guidance to become all that you created us to be. Thank you for this movie. We ask for more and more revelation of your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Who am I to be?